Uh, have you heard, have you heard it around, have you noticed that people are stressed out? Have you noticed that? I certainly have. I certainly noticed that a lot of people are in a lot of stress and have uh, faced a lot of difficulties that they're going through. And I've had some in our family who had COVID. Fortunately, they were not close to us, so, uh, but they all recovered and they are doing fine. But in any fashion, it's still, it's still a, uh, a stressful time for us. Well, I always like these, and I thought I'd share some with you this morning. You know when you're having a bad day? You know, have you, I've got some for you. You know you're having a bad day when the worst player on the golf course wants you to play, play you for money. You know, you know you're having a bad day. Your birthday cake collapses from the weight of the candles. I don't find that funny. Your twin sister forgets your birthday. Having a bad day. Your four-year-old <laughs> four tells you that you, it's almost impossible to flush a grapefruit down the toilet. It's almost impossible. You have to sit down to brush your teeth in the morning. I don't find that funny either. <laughs> the bird singing outside your window is a vulture. You wake up and your braces are stuck together. Your income tax refund check bounces. You know you're having a bad day. You put both contact lenses in the same eye. You know you're having a bad day when, when uh, you need one bathroom scale for each foot. You know you're having a bad day when airline food tastes good. You know you're having a bad day when your doctor calls and tells you you're allergic to chocolate chip cookies. Hope to never get that call. You know you're having a bad day when your cat abandons the nice box you prepared for her and has kittens in your dresser drawer. You know you're having a bad day when everyone loves your driver's license picture. You know you're having a bad day when everybody's laughing but you. Know that story. Don't have that story. Yes. When can we get vaccinated? That's part of the stress. When can we get? Have you heard people talking about that? When can we get vaccinated? And I said, you know, I'm, I'm an old guy. I should probably get that up. But they're saying, well, it's going to be after March. And going, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, maybe we can work something out for an old guy like me. I want us to begin... Because that leads us into something that I had never seen put together before that I think you might find fascinating. So if you'd open your Bible to Isaiah 39, if you have one there with you. If not, it'll be on the screen, so don't panic. So I'd like for us to begin there because it leads into something. And you have to know a little bit about the story. So what has happened is that King Hezekiah had some visitors who came from Babylon. And Babylon was a threatening military force. But they had the visitors, and they came so nicely and so forth. And so he showed them all around the palace. He showed them everything they wanted to see. He even showed them the treasury and everything of how they're doing, all the stuff that they collected from all. And he showed it all to them, and then they left. 
And Isaiah, the prophet, comes into them and comes before prophet. And so you find in verse 30, uh, chapter 39, 1 through 8, is a prelude to chapter 40, which we're going to look at. So I'm not going to go through all of that. You can read that at home. Now it's eight verses, but we're going to look at just the highlights. So here comes Isaiah back to the king. He's heard that the king has showed him all this stuff. It'd be kind of like some of our politicians showing all the Chinese are. So oh, wait a minute, maybe they already have. But in any fashion, here comes the text. And so we have to ask, what in the world was Hezekiah thinking? What was going on in his mind? And so here he goes. So Isaiah, and it's interesting, I was able to get a picture of Isaiah. So then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that you, your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you, will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Well, that exact prophecy that was given actually happened. And we know this story because Daniel was one of them that God hauled off and taken off to Babylon. And he served in the king's court, Exactly fulfilling the prophecy that Isaiah had told to Hezekiah because of Hezekiah's letting the Babylonian officials have a tour. Now, Notice Hezekiah's response when he says, the Lord said, the word of the Lord you have spoken is good. This is King Hezekiah. The word is good. He replied, for he thought, there will be peace and security in my lifetime. You wonder, how could this be, be so totally clueless? You know, what an idiot. He showed everybody out. Showed everybody out. And so that prelude that beginning that chapter in chapter 39 has in its background has a part of it in what it's being developed part of that is to ask what is in going to happen to us now what is going to happen to us now and what happened was of course many of them were the Jerusalem was destroyed and I mean were taken into captivity and some were put on boats and sent back to Egypt it was a terrible thing that happened. So, so what are we looking for? What are we going to happen? And along comes Isaiah. And he begins in chapter 40. Chapter 40. Now, when I was in high school, going to San Diego Adventist Academy, when I was going there, our choir teacher, and I was in all the choirs, and in the choirs, because I like to make a lot of noise and sing, I guess. So, so, introduced us to music from George Frederick Handel. Now, maybe you don't know him, and he, he was not a classmate of mine, as you can see. He'd already passed away. But he wrote The Messiah. And The Messiah, that fabulous musical work, if you've never heard it, or seen, you can go online and listen. It takes a couple hours to hear it. But it is amazing to hear, amazing the music in it, and introduced us, she introduced us to the Messiah. And many of, now Handel wrote this in 30 days, he did the whole thing in 30 days. It's a big, huge work. 
And so he wrote the Messiah, which has many parts in it, and introduced it to us. And ever since getting that education about having sung the Messiah, every time I hear the music from it, I think about that. It was a fabulous thing. So we, our choir, sang it every year. We did it at Christmas time. And that Messiah. And of course, the big thing that most of us all remember was the Hallelujah chorus. And the Hallelujah. Now, I was in Boston. Which, you know, great. And we, were, we went to hear uh, a tenor, an operatic tenor, sing for Christmas time. And he was singing, and he by himself, in a gorgeous voice, sang the hallelujah chorus for us at Christmas time. There were several thousand people in the auditorium. I was up in the balcony. And I and one other woman the two of us were the only ones who stood for the Hallelujah Chorus. So I say, where is the culture of these people? Do you know that? When you hear the Hallelujah Chorus, it's tradition that you stand because you're standing for the king. You're standing for the... So I educated you today if you didn't know that. But a Hallelujah Chorus. Well, part of the beginning, part of the beginning of that great, beautiful masterpiece that we learned, and I remember it's the first solo that happens in... The Messiah, the first one that comes out, deals with Isaiah 40, verse 1 and following. Here you go. Now remember, Hezekiah, Hezekiah had just sunk the city, sunk the, sunk the country. This is good. Disaster was coming to them. And now immediately in the next chapter, immediately in the next chapter, chapter 40, here comes the word of the Lord. Comfort. Comfort, my people, says the Lord. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Why? Because she's going to be laid to rest. She'll be destroyed. And proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. Now, this is looking into the future. Looking way down into the future. So I say, her hard work has been completed. That her sin has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins, been taken off into captivity. Notice the next verse. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, and every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, and the rugged places a plain, says Isaiah the prophet, as he spoke to them. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In other words, the mouth of the Lord has said, this surely will happen. Just as you are going to be taken off into captivity, remember these words that surely... Surely I will take care of this. And I will give you a great promise in which you can take comfort. Comfort. And I'll never forget as that tenor would get up there and make that call in the Isaiah. Comfort. Comfort me, my people. It's a beautiful. I encourage you to listen to it. So here is this response to Hezekiah's foolishness. And the Lord Lynn says, I will give you a promise that this to you, I will take care of you. So take comfort. 
no matter what is coming your way. So we find this interesting that a highway for our God in the desert. This is a picture from, from Nevada. Yeah. A lot of places like that in Nevada. A highway out there. A highway in the wilderness. Not in the city, but in the wilderness. And it associates that with the glory of the God will be revealed. Glory of God will be revealed in the wilderness where a highway has been prepared. A place, a highway meaning something important is coming down that highway. Well, God gave us great promises of deliverance. Great promise of deliverance to Israel. To all. When things looked really bad, things looked like they were going to an end, God gave his promise. You see, whenever he disciplines, he always follows with grace. Always, grace always follows law. In fact, grace always precedes law. In fact, the law is grace itself. The wonderful act of God. He gave him a promise. A promise here that you can take comfort from this. Take comfort, my people, because something is coming that will change everything. All right. So it didn't take a lot for scholars to come around and say, hey, you know, I think there's an association with, with what is being talked about in there in the, 20, uh, the 40th chapter of Isaiah, and looking to a particular person, John the Baptist. And why did they make that connection? Well, I'll show you. So, would you two find your Bible, if you would? Chapter 1 of John, right in John. It gives us the clearest indication of that, although you can find it elsewhere. But here we're looking at the Gospel of John. Association of Isaiah 40 down to John chapter 1. And looking there together in verse 19. John chapter 1, verse 19, 4. Now this is John's testimony, John the Baptist. When the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Now why would they ask him that? They asked him because he was out baptizing on the River Jordan, being crying out for people to repent, change their ways. Baptism was not a normal way for Jews to go. They were not baptized. Gentiles were baptized into Judaism, but they themselves were not baptized. So when he was baptizing Jews for repentance, it was a shock. And so things were so different in his preaching that he was preaching out there in the desert in Jordan. And if you've been there, some of you have been there with me, and we have gone down to the River Jordan where this took place. And so there he is. He's there out there preaching. And they sent, they sent these Jewish leaders, they sent these Pharisees and the priests to him, to go look, to go, and they ask him, want to know who he was. So he did not fail to confess, but confess freely, I am not the Messiah. See, that was the first question, are you the Messiah? They were looking for the Messiah. It's time for the Messiah to appear. They knew that from prophecy. So they asked him, are you, are you, John, are you the Messiah? He said, I am not. And they said to him, who are you then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. 
why are they asking about it? Well, remember in Malachi 4, 5, it says, on the last days they will come and I will send my servant Elijah, the prophet. Okay? In the last days. It was the exact same thing that when Jesus was in Caesarea Philippi, that he turned to his disciples and he said, who do men say that I am? And some say, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you are Jeremiah, the prophet. Some, some say you are something else and going on. And then he asks, who do you say that I am? He asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? And all the eyes look at the floor because they didn't know. They weren't sure. Except Peter. And Peter says, you are the Christ. Malachi 4, 5. So that's where they went. They wanted to ask him, are you, are you the Elijah reappearing? Not incarnation, but appearing with the Elijah message. And so, and he finally said to them, they said, who are you then? Give us an answer to that we take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Now look. And John replied, in the words of Isaiah the prophet, chapter 40, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Remember that? You saw that in chapter 40? The voice of one calling in the wilderness, or the way to be, make straight in the desert a highway. Same idea, same concept. Now the Pharisees, who had been sent uh, to question him, they should, why is, oh, verse 25, question him. Why, then, do you baptize if you are not the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? John answered in verse 26, I baptize with water. John baptized, he replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. What is the meaning of that? The next day, when John saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, look, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus walked out. This is the one I meant when he said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Actually, Jesus was younger than John. He was six months younger. And they never met. Even though they were related, distant related, they, they never met. So when Jesus came over the brow of the hill, when he came down, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, it had incredible impact. Who, he said, he, this is someone who was before me. Now, now, last week we looked at the incarnation, you see, the incarnation. And from that we learned, not only did his pre-existence, it's not pre-existence of his birth, he was eternally pre-existent. So, before him, before him went, here John recognizes that the person coming towards me, the Lamb of God, really is not just a physical man. This is God coming down to be baptized and you do not know him. He's walking among you. I myself, John said, did not know him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might reveal, be revealed to Israel. 
Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I have seen. And I testified. This was God's chosen one. Saw it. Testified it. I was there at the river. I saw him come down. I'm not worthy to him. I said, no, I'm not baptized. She said, I must be baptized. He was baptized and Jesus came out of the water. God spoke and the Holy Spirit descended as a dove. As a dove upon Jesus. It was a stunning event. It was a mark that turned John to be able to look and say, I am fulfilling. I am the voice of one in the wilderness. Out in there, you could go today and see those spots. See those places where Jesus was baptized. And there he was. And John says, I came, who takes away the sin of the world. Messiah coming, the one who came, promised from Isaiah 40. Comforting, comforting with you because someone is coming. to be a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way. Make straight the way for them. Behold our God. And if you look in John, in uh, Handel's Messiah, this very truth is certainly taught. The great truth about Christ's coming who takes away the sin of the world takes away your sin, takes away my sin. We are to take comfort from that. So, only Christ offers removal of sin by grace. You can think of all the world religions, and there are many have wonderful themes. Many of them have wonderful, great things about them. You think of Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism. They all have wonderful things about them. But there's one thing in all of them, every one that's missing, and that is that a God came, gave his life to cleanse and take away your sins. And from all the rest, you do it by works. But in Christianity, Christ came to give it to us by grace. By grace. He gives it to us freely. And it's an incredible thing. Incredible gift. So no wonder. When the angels began to sing. To those shepherds out there. Just outside. Just outside. They were on the hill. Outside Bethlehem. We believe that's where they kept the offerings, the lamb offerings that were to be made. That was the flocks. They were taking care of the lambs that would be then offered. And so they, they were out there, and along came the angels and gave them incredible, incredible story of Jesus. So now as you look at that, and I hope that you will now go home and listen to the Messiah, the 
It's a wonderful thing. You can just find it online and just sit down and enjoy it. To follow that beautiful themes, the beautiful themes that are outlined by, by Handel in that great musical work that point to the beauty of our Savior. And may we understand that all the way from Isaiah 40, even though Hezekiah blew it, the Lord says, I will give you a promise. And the promises that he gave there will be fulfilled when Jesus will come and take us all home. And it'll all be taken away. Sin will be gone. I thank you, Lord, for the great promise that came from Isaiah. Oh, a foolishness of Hezekiah, but you gave a powerful message of what was to come. And through John the Baptist, we were able to be pointed to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and, and to know the fulfillment of prophecy through our Lord. Now Jesus came to save us. I thank you, Lord, for that. May that grace, that gracious gift be precious to us every day, but particularly through this Christmas season as we lift up Christ and his grace to us, certainly saving the world. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you're online, we're going to uh, say thank you for joining us. We will see you next week. Come back at 11 a.m. We'll be glad to have you be a part of our worship service. May God bless you and be with you and his grace to shine upon you in his holy name.